0: but we are fishermen. And one mended net at a time, we will catch the world that Jesus loves and that he died to save. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Striebeck. So I've uh, had this thing going back and forth very sporadically as conversations with friends tend to do, especially with a distance and especially during the things that we faced uh, this past year. So somewhere along in the spring, a former member of our church who moved down to the Houston area, Conroe area, uh, has uh, named Cliff, and some of you all remember Cliff, he would help with music camp, is just a wonderful storyteller and musician and vast experiences in the music world. And so we figured out early on when I got here that we had a love for some of the same um, recording artists and folk musicians. And so somewhere along the way where he was stuck at home and things were different, he sends me this video of... Uh, of a song that I'd never heard before, and he tells me the story behind it and how he saw somebody perform it, you know, live one time in the 70s, and I mean, I was just, it was like Merry Christmas uh, to me for all the history, and it was a beautiful song, so we started sending songs back and forth. So, like, I wait for him to send two, and then I'll send one, and then we go, so we've just kind of been telling stories and keeping up with each other through these songs. Well, the last one that he sent me, he said, this is a pretty lesser known song and I hope you'll like it and it turns out to be one that I'd only heard but I didn't know that much about and it's called The Night Herders Lament. Have y'all ever heard the song? The Night Herders Lament? And it starts out, Well I was out a riding the graveyard shift, midnight till dawn, you know it's a great old cowboy song. And so the chorus is a lament because it's somebody from town who's riding a friend who's out on the prairie and they don't understand why they keep doing the work of a cowboy because it just doesn't make sense. So the chorus is, why do you ride for your money? Why do you rope for short pay? You ain't getting nowhere and you're losing your share. You must have gone crazy out there, right? So it really captures the lament of somebody who's watching a loved one or a friend waste away their life as a cowpuncher. And so the answer to the question in the song, of course, is, yeah, they did go a little bit crazy, and there was a calling. Everybody that's going to do something like that that seems a little crazy to friends and family at some point in time, they're going to be able to point to a moment or a series of moments, and they'll say, I just can't explain it. I just love it. I felt called. This is what I had to do. And if I wasn't doing this, I wasn't going to be happy, and I wasn't going to be fulfilling my life's mission. The story that Mark tells early on in his gospel really brushes up against that reality and we're meant to read it here today. It's not just for people who lived in an antiquated time and had different occupations and if we think well maybe it was easier or different to follow Jesus like that back then but this is a word for us today. The immediacy with which these Guys leave their work to go follow Jesus, the work that they were familiar with is is mind boggling. And the authority that Jesus has is he's walking along the seashore and he's calling these folks, and they're leaving what they've been doing and they're following Jesus. It's striking. Now, we know the story and we know the 12 disciples and we know the stuff, so we're kind of like, yeah, 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 they left, they left. But it's mind-boggling. And Mark uses this this adverb immediately twice in this text. It's one of his favorite words to let you know, hey, this is a big deal. So immediately things begin to happen. And Jesus, the only time marker we get for what's going on is that John is in prison. John has been arrested. It's like a foreshadowing of when Jesus is arrested. It's the same word. And it's like saying things are getting rough for the people of God— and yet Jesus says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Believe the good news. Uh, the word for time is, you know, in, in Greek there's two words for time. There's, there's chronos, uh, where we get the word chronology, which is just the passage of regular time. And then there's a the word kairos. And kairos means it's like God time. It's like something's a little different. And so it, that's the word here is kairos. The time is fulfilled. Jesus says, it's, it's time, y'all. It's time to, in the wake and in the face of John being arrested, and it looks like the world's going to hell in a handbasket, it's time. And I'm about to get the band back together, and we're going to do this thing. So he passes along, and we get the story. It's all about the gospel, whatever the gospel is, whatever this good news is that is from God that Jesus is living out. It's the thing that we're supposed to turn back Towards. Remember, the prophets would say, "Look, you've got yourselves in a hole, and I don't know how you're going to get out of it. But if you will turn back to the Lord, if you will turn your hearts, if you will right repent and turn around and turn back towards God, who knows? Uh, he might, in His mercy, He might show you favor and, and He might welcome you back, and things might get back to how it needs to be. And so it's this turn around and believe the gospel. So Jesus is passing along the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon." And he sees Andrew, who's Simon's brother. They're casting a net into the sea. Mark tells us, for they were fishermen. And it seems obvious, and I don't know, it's a little bit humorous maybe. I mean, what what else do we, why else would they be throwing nets in the sea? I mean, he could say, uh, you know, they were throwing nets into the sea because they were bored and they were horsing around and they stole their dad's net. I don't know. But clearly, Mark wants us to know, they were fishermen. In case you didn't pick up on it because they were throwing a net in the water. They are fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of mankind or of people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, uh, he saw James now, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed Jesus. So Jesus calling us and us following Jesus, are, these, are the, these are the same thing. Jesus says, follow me, or Jesus calls us. That's, what, that's what's happening here. That's the long and the short of what it means to be called. Every single one of us are called. We've come through the waters of baptism, and because of that baptism, because of that mark that will never go away, you and I have been called by Jesus. And we have been called to be followers of Jesus, and that's our most important thing that we'll ever do with our lives is follow Jesus. And so that's, that's us. That's who we are. To be followers is to be called. One thing I notice as I read this passage this week is that Mark makes a reference to Zebedee twice in this very short amount of time. And Mark does not mess around with his words. He doesn't waste any words. He doesn't repeat himself. And so when he does, and when you see something recur like that, it's usually a good idea for us to pay attention. And so I've been asking, why does Mark, with the economy of his language, why does he mention a name like Zebedee twice? And so for the rest of this sermon, I want you to imagine that you're seeing this event through the eyes of Zebedee. I want you to imagine what it would have been like to be a Jewish father, and witness this whole thing. Okay, so just back it up to where you begin to see Jesus walking along the shore. And imagine that you're sitting in the boat and you're Zebedee. You're a parent who's dutifully raised your kids. Alright, that's where we are. You're a good Jewish father or mother. You raised your kids in the faith and you taught them the family trade. And in their eyes you see generations of fishermen who will tell stories of how you taught their father and their father taught them how to fish and how to run the family business. Uh, I brought with me today, it's really tiny, you can't probably see it, but just for illustration's sake, um, uh, this is something I'm going to mail to my dad. And, uh, and it, it is a lag screw that broke off uh, under too much pressure at the head, and so I had to extract it from the piece that I was working on. In order to do that, I had to drill a hole into the lag screw, and then use what's called a screw extractor to back it out. Now, the only reason I knew how to use a screw extractor or that there was such a thing is because probably when I was 12 or 13, my dad gave me a set of screw extractors to which I replied, Dad, what the, what's a screw extractor? And why would you get me a package of them seeing how I don't know anything about screws or their extractors? Um, but here I find myself, you know, 30 years later, and, and, and thanks to that, it, it came in handy. And so what, what I want to say to him is just thanks for teaching me that, that, you know, the right tool is important and that you can do a lot of things if you'll just be patient and learn. Uh, is also the same disposition with which he taught me how to sweep a floor, which he's very particular about. And I wasn't so thankful for that at the time. But he would take the broom away from me and he would say, Are you just going to move the dirt around, or are you going to sweep this floor? And he'd say, this is how you sweep a floor. Turn your hand over and do it this way, okay? This is not sweeping a floor. This is sweeping a floor. You're not getting this place ready for a dance. You're trying to clean it, all right? So that was a, a big deal, you know, that we teach our kids things. And so you're Zebedee, and you've been teaching your kids, and all of a sudden, This rabbi comes along, and it's customary for Jewish guys to, when they were of the right age, to want to learn and go a little deeper in their studies. They would go and seek out these rabbis that would come through town, and they would say, hey, basically, will you mentor me? You know, I'm in the field. I'm a young investment banker. I see you're a mature investment banker, and you've done well. Would you mentor me for the next six months? I'll do whatever it takes. I'll work for free. I'd just like to learn from you. Uh, the same thing they would do with their Jewish studies and with what it was going to be like to be a Jewish man. So they, hey, would you, would you mentor me? Would you teach me? That was very common. What was not common was for the rabbi to come and initiate and to get his posse together. That didn't happen. And so you're Zebedee and you're sitting there. And along comes this rabbi. And he's from this backwater village called Nazareth. And remember, there was another disciple who said, does anything good come from Nazareth? That's impossible. That's impossible. And this guy has a little ragtag group following him and they're fishermen as well. And you recognize them. But this rabbi speaks to your boys. And they get out of their fishing implement. And they walk after this guy. They don't finish the job of mending the nets, which they were supposed to do. And so you're left in the boat and you're holding the net that they were patching. I would be devastated Wouldn't you be devastated? You set them up for perfect success. And we know Zebedee was doing pretty well. I mean, you don't have hired help and you don't have a fishing operation like that if you're not doing pretty well. And here he watches his legacy. The people that he's painstakingly trained hop out of the boat and go wander off to who cares where. The point is they're not here. But what if Zebedee gets it? Like, what if it registers for him? What if he understands from the beginning? What if he prepared his kids for precisely this moment, that no matter what your job is or what your tasks are, that your life's work is as simple as what you repeat every day when you gather at the kitchen table? It's on repeat in your mind for your whole life. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Deuteronomy 6. And it goes on to say, this is what you teach your kids. You, you tie it around their head. You tie it around their wrist. You write it on the doorposts. You make sure that when they're waking up, you say it. When they're going to sleep, you say it. When they're walking around, you talk to them about it. You tell them the stories. When they come home from school, you remind them again. And when you send them off, you tell them one more time. Hero Israel, this was the Shema, this was the this was the most important thing that you could know and you could say. And it was an act of worship, and it reminded you no matter what else you were doing, this was your calling. This is who you were. So what if Zebedee knew all along that he wasn't just teaching his boys to mend a net? What if he knew that the job was bigger than that? Because you and I weren't just teaching our daughter or our neighbor how to fish. We weren't just teaching them how to mow the grass. We weren't just teaching them how to scratch out a budget. But we were teaching them virtue all along. We were teaching them about worship and about fidelity. Because the commandments of God are not kept in a vacuum. They're not only kept in a sanctuary. The commandments of God are kept in the details of daily life. That's the only place that we can live them out. So Jesus calls these guys, and the calling of Jesus, the calling that comes to us, this is the place where worship and fidelity to God, the worship of God, fidelity to God, where the realities of our baptism, that we belong to God, that we were created by God, that God loves us no matter what, and there's nothing we can do to make him love us more or we can do to make him, that he will love us less, that God loves us, that that's the story, that's the gospel. And so worship of that God and fidelity to that God, the place where they meet what we do with our hands and our feet every day, the place where they meet what we do with our work, that's calling. That's what our calling looks like. So one is non-negotiable and it never changes. That's worship, that's fidelity to God. The other one changes all the time, especially in our culture, right? We very rarely do one job for our whole life, like the old days. We might do 20 jobs in a lifetime of work or we might only work for five years, for whatever reason, and we do that job, and our work can look very different at different stages of life. And what if every job that we work is another window into the frontier of following Jesus? How can fishing, for example, help us to see what is the work of reaching out to people? What is that all about? Well, why is fishing a great analogy for that? Um, it was fun. I got to take. Uh, our son, Ethan, who's a teenager now, um, to Colorado this fall uh, when I w- went with a friend and went to the South Fork area. And I was able to put a fly rod in his hands and, uh, and some warm clothing on and let him kind of wander out and play around with what it looks like to fly fish and what you're trying to do and kind of how to watch for what's going on. And, um, and it was, it, I just hardly got any fishing done because I would just watch him, you know, as he was He'd fumble around, and he'd make a little cast, and then, and then he'd get it tangled up, you know, and he'd sit there and flip it a while. He's very patient, and he'd just kind of go on and just watching him and thinking, okay, all right, this is, this is how it works. This is how you teach patience. This is how you do these things. And uh, this, is, this is what it's all about. A um, little side note, if, you, if you've ever seen A River Runs Through It or read the book, uh, by Norman MacLean, he he says that their father, who was a Presbyterian minister, assured them from the time they were little that uh, that Jesus, the best fishermen that Jesus recruited, were certainly fly fishermen. But anyways, that's a that's a side little side note there. Um, but you know, whether you're a carpenter or a CPA or a coach or a teacher or a grandmother or a banker or a firefighter or a musician. What is it in these jobs that we have, by God's grace, mastered? I mean, many of you have mastered your work. You're the best that there is in your location, in your place. What is it about that job and what we have mastered that will teach us about following Jesus? How is that a window into that space? Remember what it was like uh, the first day on that job? Remember what it was like your first day of class in a particular year or the first day that you brought your baby or babies home? It's new skills that are in front of you and the feeling of being overwhelmed. I think this is how it feels to follow Jesus. No matter what stage of life we're in, when we hear that call and we take a step out of the boat, this is what it's like. It's a little unsettling. It's like the first day of class. And I think sometimes if we feel otherwise, as though we've mastered it or we have arrived as followers of Jesus, then we probably have lost sight of Jesus. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of people. It's, it's meant to be a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Think about James and John. They certainly didn't figure it out overnight. They're the same ones a few chapters later that say, Jesus, hey, um, just kind of interested in what's in it for us when we go from here. Remember, if we could hedge our bets, do you all remember that? The same guys. So how can we prepare our kids or our coworkers So that when Jesus comes calling, that they will leave even us to follow Jesus immediately. And I wonder if Zebedee, who is left there holding the nets as his sons walked away, I wonder if somehow he heard something like, well done, good job. Because it's not only that Zebedee or that we taught them how to fish. But we taught them that the creator of the seas and the fish alike is worthy. Is worthy of our whole life. And we look into the life of Jesus from our actual life with jobs and kids and taxes to pay. And this is how it should be. Because we are not asked to follow Jesus when we reach a certain stage of life or when things slow down for us. Are we make it to the next milestone. But we are, after all, missionaries, all of us. And we're disguised as small business owners. We're disguised as we're healers in the kingdom of God, and we're disguised as nurses. We're teachers of heaven masquerading as students in high school. We are Zebedee. We're waiting to teach the next person in the boat how to mend a net. But maybe we're disguised as recently retired. This thing that I've always thought was pretty true uh, has really hit our family close to home in the last few years uh, as the mother of the house has been preparing uh, to go back to start an entirely different career than she ever thought she would be a part of. And so this last week, she embarked on uh, this next step of nursing school, and this is a person that I've lived with now for almost 20 years. She's the smartest, toughest person that I know, and she could do anything, and I watched, as many of you do as mothers, as you all become nurses to your children. And and a lot of it, you get what you never asked for. You learn things you never would have wanted to know in order to take care of people in difficult situations. And I've watched as one, you know, vocational idea gave way to another and to another. And now, not just uh, taking care of our kids, but opening the doors, the possibilities to serve the world in the same ways that she has served us. And so it's always been in there, but now the calling looks different and the steps look different. And what we learn from all of this is that the gospel of God ends up being worth it. To be forgiven and to approach life as all grace, there's not anything better in the world. And... By the way, this is what the world needs from us more than anything as followers of Jesus. It's more than our lobbying or our bemoaning that things aren't the way they used to be, dadgummit. Because whether we are James and John and we're embarking on an entirely different new way of fishing, or whether we are Zebedee and we're repeating the same tasks to the glory of God that we've been doing for the last 50 years, the world is still the world. And the world is still the place where John can be in prison for preaching the same good news that sets us free. And we are not naive to that. But we are fishermen. And one mended net at a time, we will catch the world that Jesus loves and that he died to save. Amen.